Hello, my name is Aurora Diaz, formerly of the Bettys, but now of Bodega Flower and Betty Crick Club, and you are listening to Paper Pets. Kind of like this go-to pun for the art for the art institutions wasn't really my thing and one of the things that I had an issue with that was that I um, was representing all this other art so in the zines like the zines would have 10 different artists so when I would show that scene at an art book fair you know um, and people don't really care about it or disrespect it or say something misogynist or sexist or racist. I had to deal with the emotional scrutiny of that. And Chris has seen me cry at these points, at these things, like the emotional toll of doing this project was taking a little bit of me, a lot of me, to be honest. So um, I felt like the growing pains of trying to be a queer woman of color of going into the art world is taken advantage of in a way. That's why I felt like the project for me now feels naive because yeah. what I wanted to achieve, I could achieve, but not without the proper support. You know, going back to the whole, like if the proper people aren't helping you out, the system can't change. Yeah. So um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to um, steer clear out of it. Nothing other than, I mean, the project is incredible. And I, I think what I've done for it and what I've done with it was great, but there were so many limits. And I didn't really like that because I don't like being limited. I don't like being told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask my dad. <laughs> but, but not just that, but um, I felt like, um, now that I knew more, I wanted to get into something more different. So um, right now I'm kind of focusing on starting my own um, art brand called Bodega Flower. So that's just basically my work. Um, through Bodega Flower, I envision myself kind of taking control of my narrative and my path in the art world. Um, yeah. my personal art. See, one of the things about the Bettys is that I was like, yeah, I can't wait to do art with my friends and stuff like that. But then printing gets in the way, Photoshop uh -huh. gets in the way, InDesign gets in the way, traveling to places gets in the way. And I wasn't really able to express myself create, create like in a creative way the way I wanted to. So it was one of those things where I became the art organizer, not the artist. Yeah. <laughs> so with Bodega Flower. Right? Yeah. So it's like with Bodega Flower, I kind of like am creating my own path and creating my own um, corner of my art in the art world. I kind of want to, because of the Bettys, I want to have this direction art where I am not attached to um, agencies or anything. It's where 
I am an independent worker and I'm also respected as a worker. So um, those are two major things that I'm really into lately. Um, so for there's Bodega Flower and then for the Betty's like little evil sister, I'm doing Betty Crit Club. So Betty oh. Crit Club kind of works like, um, It works kind of like Harriet the Spy clue kind of thing. That's kind of how I'm leaning it with. And one of the things that I want to expose on it is like how people see art. People, anybody that you ask who's not an artist, you ask your uncle, your grocery um, worker, etc. When they say, oh, I love art. I go to the museum. I've been to the museum. I've gone to this museum. I have a, a membership at the MoMA, et cetera. But yeah. the problem is, is that that's not the only thing that's art. And a bigger issue is that those art institutions are not like in any way ethically okay. You know, there's so many, yeah. there's the Guggenheim, there's the MoMA, there's, um, the Met and all of these have problematic um, creation, problematic practices of art workers. And the, the problem here in New York, especially like every in every museum, all the museum workers are artists. Yeah. So when, when you see kind of like a mass layoff from Guggenheim and Whitney, that is affecting a huge chunk of the art economy here in this art world this little art world where we, the rest of us live at, because we are not in any way associated with MoMA, the Met, et cetera, right? So it's, I see that a lot of people don't really understand the way museum works. They think that, they think artists, people think, what gallery are you at? Who represents you? Where are you showing? And, you know, that's just like a very generalized way of, of being an artist. And I understand if people want that, good for them. But I feel yeah. like for those things to happen, they should have the liberty to do it without being a pawn, without being ripped off, mm -hmm. without, you know, like all these kind of like dirty systematic ways that museum works. So what Betty Crick Club is, is basically like, um, a kind of discovery finding way of how the art world is using practices that are anti-worker and anti-artist. So um, there's a lot of, if I don't know if you've probably seen it on Instagram, but there's so many um, organizations that are popping up. There's like a better Guggenheim, there's uh, I'm a Fuss and a lot of organizations who are exposing um, the inner workings of, of um, museums and art institutions yeah. because um, artists are being exploited like severely. Some of them have to sign NRAs. Some of them have to give up their creative ventures. Some of them have to um, face retaliation. And it's, it's this very weird thing that, that artists are kind of in this kind of gray area. And um, I think that I've spoken to this with you, Chris, in particular, because this was like 
way when Trump first began as president. The thing with Trump was is that the first thing he did was knock out the National Endowment Fund. It was like one of the first things he did and no one even remembered because he does like 30 horrible things a day. So, um, you know, impossible to keep up. But that was one of the things that Donald Trump did. So that was about four years ago. Right now, we're really, really, really feeling that kick, you know. And if you see artists are having a lot of uh, a very hard time struggling, but when you talk to artists, they can do accounting, they can do graphic design, they know uh, basic business laws, they know how to do contracts. So all these artists basically run their own business, yeah. but not doing things right. We're still kind of in this like starving artist section, which I hate the starving artist, uh, um, like monolith, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't understand why people have to, it's just so, I can't stand the starving artist thing, but that's one of the reasons why I really am into um, the artist worker because a lot of us work very hard to be independent, but there's like kind of like a pushback with that. Right. Well, when you're taking Jeffrey Epstein's money, you know, it's of course it's going to be a pushback of that because artists are not going to give you hundreds of millions of dollars to maintain your your bougie art institution lifestyle. So it's kind of like if you create the awareness of how the living artists are living. I think in that also will it switch back? Will artists start? I mean, will museums start having like kind of like a hall you know pump pump the brakes into their practices but also people can also start really seeing other artists i feel like if it's not on your instagram ad you don't really see a lot of artists that are out there that are right next to you that are doing an art show in your town you know what i mean so it's i wanted to create kind of those a platform where um, art workers and, and artists who are into working rights can understand and as well as the art adorer. So that's kind of like my next layer of the Bettys is this level of advocacy because, you know, with the Bettys and the zine in particular, it was this like kind of like um, distribution. It's like, this is a theme, it says roses. This is 10 artists you've never seen, you've never heard before. You love them, they're great. You follow them, you've been following them for years, you're a fan for years, perfect. That was the goal, right? But I want, now I want that artist to be able to create independently without any sort of really nefarious attachment like an NDA or Mm-hmm. fear retaliation or money getting stripped away or being or being robbed a lot of artists don't get paid by gallerists so yeah it's this kind of world where everything there's a ton of artists and artists are starting to understand the power of like community within each other especially working artists and it's now more of just like pushing people into understanding um how they can be better artists and better art adorers. And I want to use like my knowledge and also my experiences with different, cause here's the thing about the Bettys. The Bettys sometimes I get these nice little messages from people being like, so-and-so is treating me really badly. 
And then I, uh, and then uh, three months later, I get another so-and-so place that's treating me really badly. So yeah. I've been collecting those dings from the Betty's past and I've been collecting them. So I have like um, bookstores and um, museums yeah. and I've dying complaints. So um, yeah, you say that my information about, about this entire world has gotten kind of, I've learned a lot. So I want to kind of uh, figure out a way where art is actually accessible. I think art accessibility is a word that's thrown around a lot, but not really looked into. And um, I think that yeah. the way that people are visually looking into art, like, you know, there's a reason why there's a line across the line around the corner at the, at, at David's corner, right? Not because Yayukusama, I mean, Yayukusama is brilliant, but there's a reason why. They have manu uh, marketing teams, they have funding, they have a ton of funding to get all these people to wait outside in the blistering cold to take two photos of a statue. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like in the art world, there's this huge, huge layer of the people that rule the art world. And then this very, very thin layer of the rest of the artists in New York. And you know, particularly that that's crazy because in New York, there's an artist and literally everybody's an artist, right? right. Everybody's an artist in New York, seriously. Everybody, everybody everybody's been a painter or a sculptor. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. So we'll see what happens. You'll see like where um, it can progress to. I'm really excited for it. So, I, I'm so happy that you're doing this and creating <laughs> this like new layer for the Bettys to grow and change and create a different platform for support and really education for not just the community, but for, it seems like everyone else outside of the community too, because the art world is, I think, incredibly difficult to explain to people who are not in the system and then also like damaged by the system. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, there's a lot of people who, I mean, there's been a lot of artists who legit were like, I'm never doing art again. New mm -hmm. York was a bust. I'm going to become whatever else, fuck art. And it's because of something really terrible that happened to them. And it's just kind of like, the art world runs along with this system that the whole world is, is trying to maintain. You know, like when you see the way, for example, the Whitney and um, um, with uh Safari Land. Safari Land is responsible for um, gassing Palestinian children, uh, black teenagers in Ferguson, uh, mothers and children in Tijuana. But that guy basically fully funded that um, Andy Warhol show that was all over the freaking subways. Yeah. Right yeah. around the same time where the Tijuana gassing was happening. And trust me, if I feel like if anybody knew that, they would be like, hell no. 
Yeah. Right. And then Winnie yeah. refused to take him out. Refused. They were just like, hell no, there was no way. They had threatened retaliation with the workers. Yeah. They had all this other stuff, kind of like this whole kind of scheming plan. And and it's, it's shocking. It's shocking to see that they're they're basically trying to maintain that money. And it's blood money. It's legit blood money. Like there's no reason for gas for tear gas or, uh, for starters and then you have somebody who is basically funding a museum to be um seemingly radical and seemingly um american art to yeah. make it even worse so it's just even those types of like systems they have to go because artists are now going to become like artists have become a like a a vehicle for gentrification yeah. Um, for a lot of things um, in American culture, especially gentrification, colonization, beautification, um, exploitation, cultural appropriation, etc. So, as artists, we have to stop being that sort of vehicle. And there's no way in hell I'm going to be a vehicle for somebody who tear gases brown and black children around the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of like this crazy people, people are like, oh, fuck that. I'm so against uh, tear gas. They're like, I, I hate Jeffrey Weinstein, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. He's a terrible person, but they're going to the MoMA and yeah, the, exactly. their boy Leon Black gave him what? $30 million after the fact, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, all the I don't want my art the there. funding comes from is horrifying. Horrifying. And it's like, what are you, like, artists supposed to be like this voice, this like um, rebellion, and it's being funded by people who are being the oppressors. It's this very weird system that's worked in the art world since, since people started selling paintings, because the whole thing is about how uh, money works, right? Yeah. So um, kind of want to, I kind of, would love to see an art world in New York that's like union friendly because it's a union friendly city. Yeah. And um, also that's artist friendly where artists don't have to depend on working at a museum. They can just, you know, it, it's crazy because I see like a mocha and I see I see a lot of museums talking about all these plans they've made for to survive the pandemic, but they laid off almost everybody. Yeah. So they're talking about the art, how they're going to maintain the art, but the, everybody else is gone. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very it, twisted. It is, and it's all very cannibalistic in some ways, right? Just like consuming all of the artists that are in the city producing work at just a lower level than what they're actually showing, and using them as workers yeah. when they lay off. Mm -hmm. Right, and then you know. Um, there's like no protection and no yeah. spaces for artists in this country either because there is no funding. Well, for starters here, in, in, I had a huge problem with uh, New Jersey when I was doing the Bettys first because I live right next to New York and I live right next to, and I live in New Jersey. So I could always bounce the project back and forth. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things is that in New Jersey, they didn't, they didn't have any spaces. 
the spaces need permits, the spaces need this, the spaces yeah. need you to take out your eye, you know, and give it to them. Like they want so many things, but no artist I know can do any of that. Yeah. So even that alone is a, is a whole other issue. But I think that if you start off by the most obvious, which is art institutions, artists have more of a better chance. I think everything will go on from there because I think that's one of the major problems that we're being used as vehicles of the same people that we're constantly talking about on the internet, the infographics, et cetera. Yeah. Same people that we're trying to work against are also funding the institutions, I think create a model for how we can be and should be and are treated. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, that's kind of just kind of my basis of it is trying to figure out how or why things, you know, people always just believe certain things. Uh -huh. Like this was my big thing with the Printed Matter Art Book Fair. I was told for four years that if I didn't do that, that fair, my project wasn't, wasn't like going to do better or anything like that. Like that was like the it thing. I had to get into that fair. Yeah. I said, sure, no problem. I got into the fair. Okay. I, the first year that I did it, I wasn't really too happy about it. The worker, the, the violations in that the zine tent are insane. But yeah. mm -hmm. I, I said, fuck it. You know, I'm quite the rugged bitch too. I'm not beyond like, you can throw me in a corner and I could sell zines all day. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where it wasn't all cracked up to be. And yeah. here's yeah. my main issue with that, with that fair in particular. It's just that it's too big to see why it doesn't work for artists. They only see that it's so big and it finishes and it looks good for print and matter and MoMA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You like the attendance count and all that and that. But excuse number. me, I paid for the table. I paid for the manufacturing. I did about 40 hours in one weekend of labor and none of that shit says successful to me. You know yeah. what I mean? So I was starting to be like kind of like mm -mm, this isn't working but it's just the optics they're dangerous i think it's a great fair i think the organizers are great yeah but there's that other layer of people who don't really understand how they could really make this prod uh, this uh book fair pop and those are the people that are funding it you know it's like the yeah. head honcho it's like the boss he never knows what the fuck is going on right you yeah. always know more than him it's one of those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that artists need to kind of just like be smarter about it and learn how to navigate it. Um, because artists are powerhouses. It's like, especially artists here, they look like everybody here is like an accountant and all this other shit. And it's like Jackson Pollock was only a painter. All he had to do was just drink and, and paint. And he had somebody yeah. else to do all the other work for him. You know what I mean? Like it's a very different world. Uh, yeah. when you of uh, of an artist so <laughs> um but i do 
want to just take a second and kind of jump back to when the Betty's started. Because now you're in this like really interesting spot where you're wrapping up that project, launching two new things. And I wanted to know like when you started the Betty's, like partially is, is why, but also where were you at as an individual and as an artist? And can you trace how like you grew throughout the Betty's? I was in zero. Yeah. Zero. I don't know what a zine was. I I wasn't really sure what kind of artist I was. I work better with my hands. That's why I'm a sculptor. Like I really, I really did not plan anything. I had no idea what the art world was like at all. I, that's why I say I, I went into the project very bright eyed. Cause yeah. I thought that, you know, I could probably like email the MoMA and they can like give me money. It's not like that at all. <laughs> so it, I was just, I, I'm very good at um, this thing called, I, I call it the captain's den. I'm really good at seeing when something is going in a weird direction and I can totally like, throw myself back into focusing in and, and trying to rearrange it. And I, you've, Chris, you've seen the Bettys grow, but you also see me do different things. Like yeah. whatever works, whatever works. If it doesn't work, it won't work now. Okay. Well, I'm going to try something else. Try a little bit different. Yeah. You know, I'm very, yeah. I, that's kind of what my thing was. It's like, all right, let's go back to the books and figure out how we can find out how we can make this work. <laughs> So I think it's maybe that kind of mentality. I don't know. My my parents have always told me that there's a solution for everything when it comes to business. So it was my responsibility and I took the Bettys as a business. So I I was I, I dedicated myself into being um as honest and transparent as possible. Yeah. And I expected that from others as well. So uh, when I didn't see it from institutions, organizers, other artists, particularly white artists, male artists, et cetera, you know, I had to learn the hard way. I had to learn, I had to take a step back, reflect, why did this happen? Is it me? Is it them? Is it the circumstances? And it's really hard because a lot of artists don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do it. That's a very, like, like a maker way of thinking too, right? Kind of like being able to understand the, like, physicality of what's happening and kind of be able to, like, like, like compartmentalize each part and then kind of trying to see how it all kind of combines into a whole, right? I, I, I feel like also, too, when it comes to art, like, you always try it, like, a good few times before you actually really like it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, I'm really good at this. And the first one is like, and the second one is okay. And then the, the fifth one, you're like, I'm going to show everybody one, everybody this one, right? <laughs> so it's it's one of those things too. Like there's always a lot of tweaking you can do, you know. And you said you just also graduated with your BFA. Where, like, where was Betty's with starting your education? Um. So, oh my God, I was like maybe three or four years in. Yeah. It was one of those things where uh, my my maternal um, my maternal family they're sculptors, and oh, wow. beyond yeah. that they're just like huge like create craft heads like 
they can Seems make like really um, grown up around a family of makers. Yeah. So I felt like that was something that I didn't have with the Bettys. Uh-huh. And I was starting to, and remember, I was starting to feel like I couldn't be creative with the Bettys the way that I wanted to be. Yeah. So I wanted to explore something completely different because ceramics has nothing to do with, with the Bettys <laughs> and see how it, how it would work out for me. Um, so I was like self exploring that. And the Bettys gave me that boost to be like, yo, you know, try it, try it, figure it out, see if you like it. You like zines. You like screen printing, you like Rizzo, try something else, you know? So that's how I just kind of went along. I mean, ceramics definitely works better for me because I like sculpting things and gives my hands. So yeah, it's totally something very different. I it has nothing to do with the buddies. Yeah. And it was one of those decisions that I was like, I know that I could push myself a little harder, so I'm gonna go back to college. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think that if that was a really the wording in that is just crazy. Yeah, so I ended up uh, finishing 2020. Um, and congrats I don't on know finishing where... your degree in this like really fucking strange time period to do so. Well, my parents got COVID, oh. so half Ooh. of my semester I was out. It was my oh, virtual no. class yeah, and I was out. My parents got COVID like maybe the first two weeks of shutdown and they were pretty bad. Yeah, uh, my father my father uh, works um, at Hutz Point in the Bronx. He's an essential worker, so he never stopped working. So oh. when COVID first started, his job in particular was off the chains because everybody was uh, buying food. Yeah. Uh, The problem was is that there was also a domino effect throughout the market of COVID because of the speed of people coming in and out, et cetera. And my dad didn't have like a standing chance in any way. They didn't have any masks, gloves, nothing. Yeah, we didn't, because also so early into the, into the crisis, they were telling us not to be stocking up on masks. They should be going to like hospital workers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So they got it pretty bad and they got it pretty early. Um, so that was, I think like by mid April, I had to go back basically into my senior year. And like, I spent two weeks like trying to catch up. It was okay. crazy. I almost didn't graduate. <laughs> <laughs> And how are your mother? How's how is she doing with it? With COVID? You said uh, she got well, well. Yeah. Uh, my father, he got it a lot worse. He was in the hospital for nine days. So my uh-huh. father got neuro COVID. Um, it's a COVID that you basically inhaled and it goes into your brain. And he had neuro COVID for nine days. And he mm-hmm. was in the hospital, but he wasn't, he was in CCU. And a lot of his, um, he had no symptoms, no fever, no cough, nothing. He yeah. had hallucinations, hallucinations. So my dad basically had a bad trip for 10 days. It was bad. Oh my gosh. Horrible. Yeah. But, and my mom, she had a completely different one. She basically had 
um, like the flu. Yeah. Like, you know, like a pneumonia. Although he had given it to her. I don't know how they both had ended up with two completely COVIDs. I will never know. I always say COVID is kind of like the matrix pill, you know, and you're the <laughs> last one to decide what your body picked. Yeah. That's the fucked part. <laughs> you can't pick. <laughs> and how are your parents doing now? They're doing great. Okay, good. So they've recovered. Have you been healthy throughout all this or did you get catch COVID as well? I did catch COVID, but I was mostly asymptomatic. It felt like a really like, it felt like I just had one extra beer that I shouldn't have. It was oh, just, yeah. you know, that really small hangover that you can't get rid of. And I had like, like uh, throughout the like six months after I had like spells of that. And it just felt like a hangover. It was so weird. Yeah. It legit feels like that extra beer that fucks your entire <laughs> day oh, up. <laughs> but yeah, everyone's really healthy and we, we made it through. I, I can't believe it's almost been a year since that. It's crazy. No, it's, it's really crazy. Um, well, I'm glad that you and your family are, are doing well now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're doing great. My parents are really big health nuts too. So they were like, we're drinking vitamin C and going out for fresh air. They went like on a whole kick after that. <laughs> so, okay. So as you're wrapping up your, your BFA and you got your degree in ceramics, um, how does that work with setting up Bodega Flowers? Like is Bodega Flower part of your ceramics practice or or what when you're talking about that as a way to control the narrative around your own work what does that, so, that do so one thing that i've really gotten into uh with the bettys is archiving and uh -huh. the out and the power of archiving and um i noticed that a lot of narratives in terms of like women narratives or a lot of just women's stories as an example, are erased throughout history. Like yeah. most women yeah. artists at the Met are in the basement, right? So it's it's one of those things where it's like those people chose to when you when you get before it's like if if someone sells a piece if, if someone buys your piece you've made it, and then it becomes like kind of like you keep people keep buying your pieces and pieces and pieces and you've made it and you've made it and you've made it. But um, those pieces get like controlled in a way, right? Like they're, yeah. they're distributed by an art dealer who's getting, who's an art collector is taking this piece and they're basically using their piece as inflation or, or what they've yeah. done to like Andy Warhol's work which is like, yeah, Andy Warhol is all about commer uh, like commercials and commercialization of art, but his shit yeah. is just like, it's like two McDonald's for me. You know what I mean? It's like, it, they've tried their best to commodify his work, yeah. but uh, to a point where he's lost control of it. I also feel a lot about like the Basquiat and stuff like that. Like there's a, their legacy has been determined by the value of their work. And that's because like, you know, Basquiat never really had like that kind of chance to really 
express himself or people really get to know, you know, like, I don't know if, I'm not really sure if there's like, um, sort of like archival things on him or anything, but just in general, like histories of artists, histories of POC artists, P histories of every artist is not a white male. Yeah. Right. Um, their narrative gets twisted and turned a lot by the viewer, by the buyer, by the observer, by everybody. And um, with Bodega Flower, I kind of want to create this archive of just my creative work. So it will, I, with Bodega Flower, what I'm doing is looking into like my skills and connecting them with um, my dual upbringing. Because I, when I was growing up, I was, I was born in Manhattan, but I did sabbaticals in El Salvador. And when wow. I was a girl, El Salvador was um, war-torn. The Civil War had just ended. Yeah. So for the first like 13 years that I would go there, I was going to a war-torn country. And then I would come back and I would come back to New York City. So this like duality of upbringing has the, um, maybe who I am. And um, I have a very unique story. So yeah. as an artist, I want that story to be told by me. So with Bodega Flower, it's an archive project, but an archive project of all my work. So through there, I can put the work that I want. I can take out the work I want. I can say the things that I say. And it's my work. It's my views of my work. You know, I think that's what I like about the internet is that you can buy a website yeah. and it becomes your home. So that's kind of like what I wanted to do, what I want to do with Bodega Flowers is kind of keep this like art home where I document, document my work uh -huh. and also document my story. So I've been like, uh, a lot of my ceramic pieces are, are about like my childhood or El Salvador. So even that alone, everything has a connection to who I am as a person yeah. and my story. So uh, Bodega Flower, actually it's, it's funny because the name is about like, my parents had a bodega in, in, um, in Manhattan. And then Flower, uh, my parents and my, both, both my families were really into nature, but that's also like a huge Salvadorian thing. So even though the name is just like a component of the two places that I was then a part of. So all my actual artwork will be like part of that. Even yeah. like, like personal photos and stuff like that. It's, I think it's very important um, archiving. And I know that internet archiving is probably your best bet because it's easier than physical archiving. That takes a lot of work, Yeah. et cetera. Um, one of the reasons why I've also gotten obsessed with archiving and understanding why archiving is important, not because of, of scenes, but also because of social media. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like artists use it kind of like this like portfolio type thing and um, your art can get stolen um, or shadow banned. Like there yeah. isn't a control of your work on social media. 
There isn't. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, I don't know what he does with the shadow banning, but any artist that puts any controversial stuff gets shadow banned for three months. Yeah. At least with a website, I can only shadow ban myself. (laughs) 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 Really? And I think that's also one of the things about archiving, like, you know, even the internet, the way that it's like, it can be monitored and controlled. I mean, Instagram and Facebook, and those are all privately owned. So they're entitled to their ways, but my art is not going to be underrepresented because of a janky ass, like algorithm. (laughs) So with Bodega Flower, Exactly. So with Bodega Flower, I kind of like keep everything in one spot and it will always be kind of, it's just kind of taken agency of my work Yeah. before yeah. I even really put in work into it. What's, I, I really love how you're talking about this. It's like creating your own narrative system that is an archive as well as a way to just, uh, craft your own story around these objects that are also telling stories. It's like this constant like narrative engine that you're developing. Yeah, and you know, um, archiving is becoming really important in uh, like in American uh, history in terms of like black history, um, Mm -hmm. um, immigration history, because a lot of that stuff has been ripped apart, burned, lost, et cetera. You know, and and particularly when it comes to Black Americans, like archiving is important to them because they they uh, understand more of their identity that's been um, erased by by the country. So archiving is becoming an extremely important thing. If you want to archive um, every fucking piece of napkin that George Washington ever used. And not and not like Maya Angelou's house or something, you know, that says it all of yeah. where the priorities are of history here in this country. So with people understanding and knowing how to archive also helps push out that kind of like white history, whitewash history that America has as well. Yeah. And can I, can I ask about so now I'm curious about how you're organizing the archive or how you're setting up the get flower as a website to, to do this. Um, and that's partially because like, I don't fully understand how archiving works either. So I'm curious. So I, I, I've, been, I've been, I've been breaking it up like in the side of some sort of like, I break it up like kind of like a portfolio. Uh-huh. And then, um, I'll write like an essay with it. So there's kind of like an explanation to what I'm doing. Yeah. Or why there. Whether it's the project, whether it's just like a project or an actual piece. You know, because even like the Bettys is part of Bodega Flower in a huge way. Like I wanted to start this project on my own. I learned everything about business through my aunts who, um, own businesses in a market and on a corner in El Salvador and they would make a ton of money and they would survive and maintain their families. Like, you know, uh, all these things connect to who I am. The Betty's is a huge part of it. Cause I, yeah. I wanted to create a space that was like 
respectful and transparent and real. Um, and that's, I feel like that's something that we, like I created in terms of like, just trying to um, amplify artists as much as I could. Yeah. So absolutely. there's a lot of, there's a lot of components of my upbringing in that as well. So um, yeah, it's kind of an explanation of, of even, even something, I'm even archiving like the story of men who abuse their power. Cause a lot of people think a lot of people are very like, if the shoe fits about it, you know what I mean? Do you know yeah. how many people have been like, is that about me? And I'm like, I don't know who you are. They're like, I'm so-and-so's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who you are, homie, but if the shoe fits, you won't like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? But even that's something like that, like um, I explain a lot of the project as well, like um, destroy women who abuse your power, even like the, the funny, silly pins that I do, they have a story yeah. to it, you know? Like Larry Nasser, like the story of men who abuse their power is about Larry Nasser. Nobody yeah. really knows that. I it, the the phrase was kind of like I went into kind of this like shame hole after I spent three hours reading about Larry Nasser, and and that was like during the during his trial. And one of the reasons why is because I was thinking about like my childhood. Yeah. And how yeah. I wanted to be a gymnast. Love those girls. My mom, my parents gave me a gymnast Barbie. I love the Olympics. Never missed it because I love those girls. Yeah. And I kind of just like went into this like spiral of how like we've all allowed this dude unseemingly, but he's so fucking powerful. Because yeah. the Olympics has allowed him to create this amount of power and abuse it to all exhausted. So until exhaustion has he abused the power. And it's it's kind of one of those things where everybody has their own power. And, and um, whether you abuse it or not is your choice. So when it came to Larry Nasser, I couldn't I couldn't sleep that night. I was just yeah. so upset. And I, I remember thinking like, everyone thinks that a man in power is like some sort of man with like, you know, like a cigar and like a slick back and, you know, like a Rolex. But, you know, a lot of men have been able to build power um, through intimidation, through sexual assault, through all these sorts of things. So I had, I made first made a tote bag of it and it kind of exploded after that. It was really interesting to see women reacting to the saying and they, everybody has a completely different industry and story. Yeah. Like when I was in San Francisco, Hello, women were buying them for because they were the only women in their tech company. So it's like, I'm buying like three for me and my two other girls to wear them at work. So it's just like all these instances and in all these industries, the saying resonated like an echo. Yeah. So even those things, like explaining a lot of that, it's just archiving would work better. Cause then I can, I can explain myself how how um things worked as well like kind of like how i worked the betty's project yeah things like that 
Because I don't know, maybe one day I'll forget. So maybe I have to look back. Like develop all of these connective tissues between all the work that you're doing and all these different projects. And I think that it does also uh, create like the story of what you've been doing with the Bettys in relationship to what this moment is for like small press and the art world outside of it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's so impressive uh, to see all these other presses and how they work, you know, and, and, and it sucks to see like their challenges as well. Cause um, it was a really great part about the Bettys is hearing like all the presses um, decompress and tell each other stories and tell each other like, yeah, um, my paper was terrible. I've got the wrong weight to things like that. Like those are the biggest problem with presses and projects like that is that every time there's a fuck up, they take way too long to recover from. Yeah. And that's the worst part about projects like that. Like if you lose or you overprinted, you're going to be paying for that for a very long time, mm. whether whether through your pocket or in your nightmares, you pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I've been quiet, just kind of like absorbing everything that you're talking about, just because um I do kind of see the like capitalist mindset in the art world, because like I do kind of like navigate the art world in different avenues and um. I can see the impact of the, like, the like mindset of capitalism, especially in the larger institutions. And then um, I'm also kind of like really impressed in kind of not only how you're thinking about kind of giving yourself your personal space and kind of archiving what you're doing within your own personal practice, but um, how in this kind of like me like thinking about the function of archiving, how is your archiving actually going to kind of become a, like a resource for somebody who wants to start their own self -publ like publishing projects or trying to see kind of how can we challenge this like art world capitalist mindset and kind of like what are these like smaller art world like the like smaller like the like little man or the little woman in the art world trying to navigate through that and so um I'm just kind of like really impressed and like really happy to see that there are people doing stuff like that and kind of being able to like start a project like the Bettys but then kind of like see that like the Bettys and something like that kind of gets to a point where how can you kind of push that further so it becomes more accessible and more useful to a, like a broader audience. And um, just because I, I'm also one of those people, like I came into zines and publishing like at like 0 0.02 where it's kind of like, I started producing things myself in a way that's kind of like, I was just like trying to challenge ideas and kind of like really like challenge how I'm kind of articulating these ideas and then how I'm collaborating with other people, right? And um, I definitely can kind of see how you're thinking about that. Not only to the Bettys are kind of, going into Bodega Flower and so kind of like how you're connecting your different like, like aspects of your own narrative into this like archiving project and so um I just think it's really funny how you're like you're talking about how you're trying to like go back and kind of like focus on archiving for yourself I like I see how like you're kind of like I see what you're doing for yourself and how it can kind of function for like a broader audience right and I just kind of like ramble for a second just because I'm like really just kind of like absorbing everything that just happened in the past hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my mom says I'm a big mouth and I talk too much. It takes me a little, a little time to catch up with me. Yeah. 
but um, it's, it's, it's like it's really engaging though you know what i mean like you're a very open person and like it's, it's really able, it's really nice to be able to kind of connect with people like that right mm-hmm. outside yeah. of attendance crowded with like, th- like thousands of people with no ac <laughs> yeah <laughs> my god yeah. i don't even think and the thing is is that the zine tent as we know it is over like what does the zine tent look like post covid you can't do six feet in a, in a zine tent i can tell you that like at all <laughs> at all yeah. everyone touching everything there's no hand sanitizer people leaving their like empty cans on your table and there's the, and there's like the, there's like this like ruminating like cloud of like punk sweat that yeah. like goes throughout the entire tent, and that that shit is probably filled with COVID. I could only imagine that shit like a COVID cloud, COVID punk cloud. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some like fair crud that like builds up in my system every after every year. Jennifer knows I get sick after every fair. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Um, but also just to build off of what Jennifer was saying, like, I feel like the honesty and transparency of your projects and how you approach your work is, you know, such a great alternative model for people who want to get started in doing things. Like you were saying when you were young, you just thought you could call up the MoMA and be like, hey, I'm doing this project, give me some money. Um, but I imagine like, you know, me as an educator, I am seeing what you're doing and then it that's a chance for me to point people towards you to say, like, if you want to be navigating an art world in an alternative and like honest and responsible fashion, like check out Bodega Flowers. Like look at this as a model for how you should be doing things in, in an ethical way or how you can do things in an ethical way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always so much to learn. Like I, I also am like always very, I always feel like there's always so much to learn. And I think that's kind of one of the things about how the Bettys worked really well. Cause I was able to just kind of like solution based, but, um, and I think that they're artists navigating the art institution world, navigating that like really nefarious world is possible if they don't fall for the trap. You know, like there's a lot of times like galleries and gallerists and, and projects try to like glean this, this like this do-it-yourself project and, and it ends up being like super do-it-yourself. Like those people had no idea what the fuck they were talking about yeah. <laughs> yourself, right? <laughs> so, and it's, 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 it's very like, um, it's very unfortunate because those are the people that like find that have the money to have spaces they have the capacity to like actually do so much better in 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 an art scene in new york and then they just like rather i I feel like there's a there's a there's also like a huge like social predator aspect of the art world as well so that's also another whole mention unmentionable so even just this the conversation to be brought up or the conversation is out there. Cause yeah. you know, I know that there's some artists there of some artists who just got off of the Greyhound at Port Authority and has no idea what the art world is like, right? That girl doesn't even know who the Betty's is, right? If she had yeah. known what a project was like and what the, how the art world was in New York, maybe she would have better 
of an idea how to navigate it and stay away from predators. And that's, that's the sexual predators, that's money predators. In New York, there's every sort of pariah out there. So yeah, it's, a, it's hard. <laughs> so what, um, I also wanted to, to ask you, because you've on social media, on Instagram, you've been going through your storage with the Bettys and showing a lot of work, but also like selling off some of the work and archiving things. Uh, where are you at with that process? How's that trip down memory lane? Oh, I, I honestly, I, when I thought that I was, this project was over, I was like, okay, this project is over. And I legit just like, kind of wanted to like, like go into crawl into bed for the next three weeks, but I have not because I've mm -hmm. gone through the storage space. I've gone through the storage space on the computer. I had gone through uh, closet space. I had gone through luggage that I had no idea I still had. Oh, wow. All these things I said I was good. See, because here's the thing. I was going to school. Friday, I would go and get on a Greyhound or on a, like, on a Greyhound or an Amtrak or on a plane, then all weekend, get home either by the next morning to take a taxi to school or to get home like in the middle of the night so yeah. I can sleep two hours and go to school. So a lot of those luggages were just like tossed to the side. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm starting to find some of those bags and I'm like, oh God. I mean, that's healthy you know baggage, I mean? right? Yes, yes. That's, healthy that's, baggage. And that's being a good bag lady for once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going through all that, like, backed up sorting. Um, yeah, it's been quite the challenge just because I don't want to do it. Like, <laughs> 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 um, you know, it's... It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to realize how long it's been, how much has been done, where the project has been. It's a lot to kind of just like take in finally. Yeah. I feel like since I've started, I was just like, I, the biggest issue with the Bettys was that if I didn't keep a consistency, it was going to fall off the radar. And I didn't, and I always wanted to keep it building up because the more, uh, well, for starters, the, our inst like our social media is a organic social like organic um following mm -hmm. because robots can't like art so i had to build i had to build the social media following yeah and so i had to like you know always post uh, art different art different artists always keeping like a consistency so i'm keeping a consistency with the bettys going to school <laughs> So and much. I had no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's it's probably a lot of it was like the passion too. I'd be like, yeah, let's let's go out there and and you know that really like bright eyed Aurora, where she thought the art world was her oyster. <laughs> it, Good lord, I can't even think that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's so silly. <laughs> no, it, it's like an incredible amount of energy to put into oh, yeah. starting something and developing it and keeping it constant. 
And I'm sure that looking back at it, you're probably shocked you had that much energy to be doing that. That much energy and not, not, and no money. Like, see, this is the thing that I, I, I like, I, one of the things that I never really realized about the Bettys is like how much more money other projects have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so like, so like, you know, here I am thinking, you know, I have a budget for a zine. And then you see something like a, you see like some sort of Instagram campaign, right? And it's pretty bad. And that Instagram campaign is, is $10,000 in a budget. And it's like, oh my God, if you had given me those $10,000, we would have had like this entire like art, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> possibilities. So that was also one thing I've been noticing too, like kind of how I always like ramage through my pockets and be like, okay, well, this is what I'm, I guess I'm taking the bus, taking a nine hour bus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's an incredible amount of work, Aurora. Um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you for it. And thank you for putting all this yeah. time and energy into it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. And and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It was such a great project to do. And it was a, a very big learning process. I tell people that my art school was the Bettys. Yeah. Because like, because like what the Bettys teaches me about the art world, I did not learn in art school. They mm-hmm. don't tell you how to negotiate. They don't tell oh. you about the people who are out there trying to get you. They don't tell you anything like that. Yeah. No real life survival in art, just how to like shade, you know? And I think that's a really like a major um, problem as well. You go into school and they're not teaching you how to like maintain yourself as an artist or as that's why, yeah. that's why, you, that's why you go into a gallery and, and, and there's like a gallery owner who's taking 70%. Right. It's like how, who can, who can ever, why would you ever say yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's something that I think about all the time as, as an educator in a university and knowing how like little of my education was put towards what you do after school. Mm-hmm. But you know, and 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 in the, and in New York, they and the, the like art schools, like art city art schools. I say the same thing for Chicago. Yeah. Like I feel like they're kind of just like training you to become like um, to become like kind of like um, a corporate artist. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, like the sort of like freelance like brand developing kind of thing and you're only competing with your peers versus like competing with with um your bosses or competing with like the status quo it's weird I always I I have an an issue with that too like um how art schools kind of train students into thinking that with this degree they can do whatever when when the art world is a wild, wild west. So when you have like these, these like artists who are coming out of Pratt and they're saying, oh, well, you know, I'm looking for a job 
I'm looking for uh, $700 a day. And it's like, you're not going to get that money anywhere. <laughs> there is no, there is no DIY space that's going to give you that money. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, you know, that's also a huge issue. I just think that a lot of artists are kind of misguided in a way that we're told that this is one way that we can do art. This, we're told that if we go to the art school, that's, that's it, you're an artist. But there's so much more to that. Like there's such in and outs. And um, I hope a future where people don't have to want to depend on any of those people. I think artists, they're craftsmanships. Like the whole thing about artists is that they're a crafter. So self-sustaining is actually really easy for crafters because of the way their minds work. So just the way that, that um, even trying to suppress that sucks because yeah. it makes a lot, a lot of these presses that work on their own, run their own businesses, um, become these capitalist machines to keep their projects going. And that's mm -hmm. fucking hard, yeah. hard, hard, hard. So it's yeah, like, it's like, it's like you're, you're, you're trying your best to keep your project up, keep your project afloat, but now you're just becoming like this kind of capitalist machine again. And it's, and it's fact. Yeah. There's no way to, um, it's no way to create because then you get kind of lost in the sauce. Right. So. Yeah. The demands are not creative demands. They're just keeping the machine running. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also, you can say the same thing for like um, um, creative worlds too, like the creative industry. They wanna create a machine so they can just keep you there. Yeah. Doing the same exactly. graphic design, same graphic design, same graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Um, well, I think, Maybe one way to, to close out is to refocus on how you're working towards developing a better future and how we can all be working towards developing a better future for our, our creative communities and our people that are going to be coming up in the next few years. Jennifer's training people well. What'd you I say? Think I said Jennifer's training people well. She's also I thought everyone to say like fuck the system and question everyone's motives. That's my that's like that's pretty much my teaching pedagogy right there. It's like yeah, I, always I like question that. their mindset. And like if you're not questioning how the system works, you're just conforming to that system. And there Absolutely. is no evolution in com in conforming to a system. I'm surprised yep. you still have a job. Christopher's my boss. <laughs> 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 no, I it's definitely think that. That's a great way to, that's, I think that's a great way to navigate too. Yeah. I, that, I just, I question everything. Cause I, I um, my parents have like this really like thing about um, New York City as well. It's like New York City is kind of like this huge dragon and it swallows people and spits them out or you become friendly with the dragon. So, and my parents are like, we know so many people who were taken in and spit out. New York is very vicious that way. There's all sorts of characters and stuff. So you always have to question everybody. And, you know, go with your gut. I love, that's one of my favorite things too. My intuition is my best friend. <laughs> well, again, Aura, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you so much. Anything that's new that's coming up. 
And just oh, I'm excited to show everybody. Yeah. Right, thank well. you guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Denny. Thank you, Christopher. Have fun in quarantine. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll edit this conversation. I'll be able to put it up online. Nice. Words are defined in many different phrases.